Hey, Oomphies, welcome to episode two of Oomphcast, the podcast where I, Quasi Matt, talk to my Ooms. Today we have Alex on Twitter. He's Xlex underscore Williams A. How do, is there a pronunciation for that? No, I just thought, so my friends called me like Xbox as like, I don't even know how that started, but I just took the X out of Xbox and put it in Xlex. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because I've always wondered, you're always like, your um, display name is Xlex. <laughs> it's like hard to say. And your yeah. <laughs> your your at is xlex underscore Williams A. So it'll be in the it'll be in the description of the podcast. So you don't have to like type it in if you're listening and you want to go follow Alex. But it's literally 11 a.m. where you are right now, and it's like a Friday. So I'm wondering how the hell are you able to be here? <laughs> so um, yeah, so I actually um, I have a startup with my friends, and my work hours are just like kind of whatever we want them to be. Um, which is like a good thing and a bad thing because it's good mm-hmm. because it's like okay cool it's free form um i can just like kind of do whatever um with the my work day um like this essentially is like a call i feel like is like pretty necessary to like just me my personal like health and development <laughs> and just catching up with friends yeah you can make up whatever excuse you want just like exactly yeah, that's so nice but, that you have, like, the control over your schedule. But, yeah, I guess sometimes does that mean that you end up working, like, 12 hours a day or something ridiculous? Yeah, like, so having a startup is, like, annoying, too, because it's, like, oh, this can fail at, like, any second. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's, like, like I've, I've basically been doing, like, startup stuff since, like, high school with my, like, friends. And, like, um, every single one of them, like, failed. Like, this is probably, like, my eighth one that I've worked on. Oh, um, I did not know this. Okay, you're you're what they call a serial entrepreneur. You just can't stop. Yeah, but the thing is, it's like serial entrepreneurs are like successful most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say that you're successful now. Let's um, actually wait. So before we talk about, um, I want to talk about like Game Bytes, the thing that you're doing now. But actually, I'm yeah. curious about what these other things are that you started in high school. Like, what have you cycled through? So it's literally like the most like hedonistic shit. Um, so I was on like the crypto train like way early. Um, Oh my god, are so, you, like, Bitcoin rich from it? No, that's why That's why I'm, like, I can't call myself a ser- serial entrepreneur because, like, I flopped. Like, <laughs> like, I was, like, probably one of the first people, um, me and one of my co-founders now, we're probably, like, some of the first people, like, actually doing, like, crypto, like, um, like startup stuff, like, in, like, 2013, or just, like, in general in the U.S. Oh, wow. And, um, so what were you doing at that time? So originally we were trying to... Um, do what's called like um like mining um and essentially it's like okay use this computer and it basically verifies um transactions on the network so it's like a running system that's like okay um basically this transaction happened and it occurred because we're using this computer's um power to like computate um computate like the basically the formula it needs to like unlock this transaction mm-hmm. so that way it can be like considered okay yeah this is verifiable this is true on the blockchain yeah so um, i've i've heard some stuff about mining because now with you know now that nfts are really popular and like nft art i mean and like crypto art people are talking about the environmental impacts of mining on a large scale like what yeah, are yeah mining actually it, it sucks honestly <laughs> it's like they kind of i don't know they'd I feel like no one ever really thought crypto was going to be, like, as big as it is now. I mean, people definitely did, like, 2013. Remember, people were saying Bitcoin's going to go to 100000 which at the time was, like, insane because, like, Bitcoin was, like, $60. Right, yeah. But, um, yeah, it's definitely, like, people were just, like, 
had crazy speculation and stuff. And like when it first started, it was like, I remember some guy paid like, what was it, 10,000 Bitcoin for a pizza? Because like it had no value then. Oh, yeah. And like you can mine, yeah, you could just mine so much with just like little like a computer. Yeah. <laughs> like a little laptop. It's like, okay, cool. I'm mining like seven Bitcoin a day or something. Yeah. So just for the, the listeners who maybe are not super familiar with this, basically like the mining process is really computationally intensive. So there will be people who will go to cold areas usually because of all the heat that's created by doing this. And they'll just have like all of these computers that are um, using all of their resources to mine Bitcoin. And Alex, correct me if any of this is wrong, because I'm sure you know more than I do. Um, but basically, they'll just have a bunch of computers and it uses up a lot of energy just to mine Bitcoin. And then, you know, you have this currency that you've gotten um, through this process and it's worth something, worth a lot now. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much spot on. Um, and the other thing is like mining back then was like literally like there were no like mining operations really it was more just like okay, people in their cool, bedroom like a bunch <laughs> yeah i've got like a bunch of desktops maybe like i go to my school put a little virus on the computer and it does like bitcoin mining in the background but like nothing like oh that so when 2013 happened like a specific computer was made like to mine like bitcoin like use all of its computational power to just mine bitcoin. oh yeah do you, do you know what the names are for those I, i've like heard of them before like uh, oh they were called ASIC miners um, yeah okay so it's just a computer that's like dedicated to mining it's like optimized yeah. for it okay so you were what gonna yeah. like buy a bunch of them and then <laughs> have them mine in just mine yeah <laughs> and like so we were I think we were like 16 or something at the time and um we were trying to convince like everyone about like bitcoin is the future and all this type of stuff and and ended up like not working out because like we had no money I literally had like twenty dollars like to my name like all of like twenty thirteen. Oh my god! Because like you I was investors. a kid, I didn't have a job. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like you're yeah. literally sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah. So like I tried telling like people, like friends and family, like, hey, can we get like a couple hundred dollars here to like buy this miner, um, all this type of stuff, and everyone's just like, no. So we're like, oh, okay. Well, that, that sucks. Um, <laughs> so it's just then, an idea. I never really got past like the. I mean, how much would it have cost? like costed for you to have one of these ASIC minor things. So I think they were going for like $800, I think. Oh shit. Um, okay. <laughs> but one of the big things was, is that like we got in, we'd messaged like the people and we were like basically in on the pre-sale, and, um, we messaged them. We're like, Hey, can we strike a deal? We're like, if we can buy X amount of supply, we get guaranteed rights to, um, some miners. And also, um, we'll be able to like, get them at subsidized prices because we we're going to buy like a ton of them um oh and, like, yeah we wrote out, like business plans and like all like like um projections like okay how much how much bitcoin could we mine based on like x amount of units and all this type of stuff so how did like, you know really complicated yeah how did you know how to do this like how did you know maybe like the pitching process that oh you had to have your financials written down and you had to go to certain people in order to get this information and funding and all of this like how did you know how to navigate that when you were 16 or did you not know how to navigate it i don't know so me and my friend we were like pretty like immature about it we were just like okay cool like we'll just buy one of these but um luckily one of our family friends um he was like oh no you gotta like actually make like a business for this um and so he taught us like a bunch of like um like road mapping for like um startups and stuff and like exactly what we needed to do how to talk to like other people and everything like how to write out a business plan um, it was it was really helpful. Yeah, I mean, obviously it ended up like paying off because I mean, what you're doing now, I think kind of what 
makes it maybe more um, like meaningful is that you were picked up by Y Combinator, right? Like with your current company. So what does that mean? Like I, I sort of understand what that means, but it's it's what like an incubator. How does that work? Is this right? Were you yeah, picked yeah. up by? So okay, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's um, it's like you said, it's an incubator, and basically they take a kind of like hands off, but also like hands off approach when it comes to like helping startups out. Mm -hmm. um, basically, they give you. I think it's when we went, it was one hundred fifty k for like a three month program, and I think it's one hundred twenty now. Um, and essentially, they give you the money. You have weekly office hours with some of the founder, with some of the um, mentors, and like a little circle discussion with like other founders, to, like talk through your problems. And then the other like seven or the other six days in the week, it's like okay, you guys are just gonna be heads down, um, working and trying to basically get as much progress as you can by the end of the three month program. Um, and at the end of the three month program, you have what's called demo day, and there you pitch to like the big like. Uh, venture capital firms in San Francisco and around the world. Um, and a bunch of like big names show up, like Sequoia, like Anderson Horowitz, um, Lightspeed Ventures, et cetera. Okay, so kind of the idea of why Combinator or um, incubators in general is that you go to them and there's a selection process to even get into the incubator, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then what they can do is kind of help you out with your early stage, like getting it together and getting it to a point where it's where you can present to venture capital firms. Okay. Yeah, and the process is like pretty rigorous. Um, I think that was when we went, when we got in, it was kind of like our last shot, funny enough. Um, we basically like had been doing like other startup stuff like all throughout college and like none of it was like really working. Mm -hmm. um, and we applied to White Combinator six times previously and got like rejected for like all of them. But we were getting closer. It was like, oh, some applications were like, oh, you guys are top 10%. Um, which is like close to getting an interview and we're like oh we could just get an interview and then we finally got like on the seventh attempt so jared had just graduated jared's one of my co-founders okay um he just graduated college and he was like hey guys like one more shot um and so we applied and ended up getting the interview and then ended up getting in um which was pretty crazy yeah so let's um let's talk about like what the the company actually is that that got you in like can you say a little bit about game bites and what it is and what you do yeah, so it first started out as like Fad Mania, um, which is a, it was a, it's a mobile gaming app, um, and essentially what the point of the app was is it's kind of like HQ Trivia, um, if anyone listening knows what that is. Um, essentially HQ Trivia is a daily uh, trivia game like with a live like host, um, and you basically answer questions and if you get to the end you get like a cash prize. So we were going to take that concept and like try to make it for like more like casual games, um, like Flappy Bird like esque style of games of games. And um, so we're like trying to combine the two. It's like, okay, you have a casual game like Flappy Bird where you just like reach a high score um, and kind of like brag your friends about it. But if you reach this high score in Fat Mania, then you get entered into a raffle um, to be able to win a cash prize for the day. And we were like giving out like $100 a day or something like that, um, just from out of our own pockets initially. And then we ended up getting the funding from Y Combinator and we had like a lot more resources to give out like actual like better like cash prizes and stuff. Okay. Yeah, I, I kind of remember when HQ, this HQ trivia app was really popular. 
um, because it, it like had a host and it was like a game show and you log in at a certain time or something, right? And then you answer the questions like live. It's like a game show, right? Or am I thinking of a different app? No, that's that's exactly it, yeah. Okay, so, so the idea was that you were gonna do this with Flappy Bird. And then, so how is it that it evolved into something else? Because I know that's not, like when I open up the Game Bytes app on my phone right now, that's not exactly what it is. Yeah, so um, long story short, that idea just completely sucked. <laughs> um, <laughs> literally, like we had like, I think at max point, we had like 2000 users a month, which is like absolutely, awful and like none of them stuck around we had like probably i think like 10 people that were coming back to the app like every month and like four of them were us so it wasn't like a really good metric of like oh this is going to be a successful thing right Um, did you identify like why that was the case like why there was a retention issue or it just wasn't something that people were interested in and that's kind of all you know i think the main issue was like one of the main issues was when we had um cash prizes like that Mm -hmm. it's really it's a really simple math game it's like if there are 10 people on the app, there's a 10, there's a one in 10 chance I have um, a shot of winning the money. If there's a 100 people on the app, I have a one in 100. So we kind of like, we thought the network effect would be that people would tell their friends, be like, oh, cool, I have a chance to win money. Like, let me tell you about it. Because you can also have a chance to win money and oh, also play like a fun game. But it will diminish their chances. <laughs> yeah. And so we were like, wait, that's that makes a lot of sense. Why didn't we think of that before? <laughs> yeah, it's like the the best kept secret. Like they don't want anyone to know about it so that they can just keep getting money over and over. Yeah, oh my, okay, exactly. yeah, that makes so much sense. I would not have thought of that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then what did you have to change about it after you realized that? So we had just moved to New York to test out because we were like trying to test out where we would want to set up like our headquarters. Because once we set up like where our headquarters is, it's like, okay, we're going to be living here for the next like five years at least. Um, and I, I'm in like a four person team, including me. So it's a bunch of like, where do you want to go? Some people want to go to LA, some people want to stay in San Francisco, some people want to go to Miami. And it's a whole like hectic, like, I'm just always moving like all the time, testing out new cities and saying what's up. Um, so we had just moved to New York. Um, we were all super excited about New York. It was actually like a pretty warm winter that year from New York. So it was only in like the forties, like most of the time, which was, um, awful for me because i hate the cold oh okay i was gonna say that's ideal but (laughs) no yeah it's it's like compared to like other new york weather it's completely ideal yeah um but we moved there like halfway through december 2019 and then february 2020 hits and we're like wait what's this thing called like covid is that like (laughs) something we should be concerned about (laughs) and at that time it was like eh, probably not like that's that's across the globe whatever so we were just like, okay, cool, whatever. Um, we're just gonna keep working on Fad Mania and everything. And then COVID hit, and then we're like, oh, we can't go outside essentially for like the next like couple months because no one knows what's going on, and it's like really scary because <laughs> no one knows how it's transmitted and everything. And so we kind of had like a, we were like, this isn't working with Fad Mania. Um, we're not going outside. We're not like, we're just having a lot of like internal like time to think. Mm-hmm. and just argue and talk um, and like debate what the direction of the company is. And uh, we just were like, okay, let's just uh, let's just kind of change it up a bit and see if we put it in iMessage. Because um, we know Game Pigeon, we started, like we've talked to our users a lot and they're like, yeah, I play Game Pigeon all the time, but like I wouldn't really consider myself a gamer. And we we're like, that's interesting because like so many people play Game Pigeon that I know that like would say 
they don't have games on their phone, but they have Game Pigeon because it's an iMessage. Yeah, so true. Oh my god, it's like making game gaming accessible for everyone. What yeah, a great exactly. mission. <laughs> <laughs> and like, actually, that kind of is like the point of like what we're trying to do. Um, and so, essentially, we went from Fad Mania to making Game Bytes, um, and we're like, okay, let's just put our Fad Mania games, make them a lot better because they kind of sucked at the time. And then put them in iMessage so people could just like play games with their friends um, through chat apps um, or specifically iMessage at this point. Yeah. Okay. Wait. So before we move on, I want to talk about your your New York era because you brought it up, and this is like when when we met and all this other stuff. So let's let's take this opportunity to talk about how we're oomphs because this is something that I want to do on every episode. <laughs> and I honestly, I'm not quite sure if I know. So do you know like how we ended up following each other on Twitter? I literally have no clue. I like. You, like, I randomly followed me, I think, sometime in, in, like, 2017, and I had no clue who you were, because you were, like, from, like, um, you were in, like, Wisconsin. I was literally in Wisconsin, yeah. I think, okay, wait, so were you at all affiliated with some music publication at your school called Hand Me the Ox, or, or am I just totally Maybe. off? Okay, Maybe. I might be I, off. I was pretty into the music scene, so... I, that's that sounds like it adds up because i because you went to university of virginia right yeah yeah and i ended up like i followed a few people from university of virginia because i followed like a music blog called hand me the ox and i think i ended up just somehow i don't even know how but like encountering your content through all these like randoms that i followed um <laughs> from this music that's publication so <laughs> yeah because especially back then like i was really just like if i ever found someone who liked like one of my tweets or who just like seemed interesting like I would always just follow them because I just like wanted to meet people like or just mm-hmm. follow people online who I felt like I had something in con- uh in common with so that's probably how it happened so I guess we don't have like a concrete story but oh well that's yeah. the mystery of Umfrey, honestly <laughs> I mean that makes sense I was pretty involved in like the music scene especially with like hip-hop at UVA so I, that, pro- that that adds up enough yeah, I mean, it's probably as close as we're going to get. But anyway, so then when you moved... So we were oomphs on Twitter, and then when you moved to New York, I remember this because... So you moved there, and then you were having this party. It was, like, early on, I think, in 2020. Like, it was before COVID, for sure. Maybe even yeah, 2019. Yeah. And you were like, hey, come to this. And you were staying in an Airbnb. No, no, no. You had a real lease in Harlem. Mm-hmm. And so me and my friend Isabella, like came over to this party that you were having and I just I remember this so distinctly because we we like got off the subway we were walking past we walked past like a Bloomberg campaign office and we were like um where are we like it was like honestly kind of dead I think just because maybe it was because of the day or something but I don't know and then we like walk up to this brownstone and we walk in and the ceilings are like 25 feet high and we're like what like what's going on here like who are these people I literally thought that it was the lobby of the like apartment <laughs> complex and then they were just like oh put your coats over here and then i realized that like we just walked through this little hallway thing and we're in the kitchen and i was like what the hell like <laughs> the ceilings are just high enough for a guillotine i remember like isabella and i were like oh my god like <laughs> we were so impressed no i love that house that was it was so nice um so where i lived i was on 125th and 5th and harlem um and it's like kind of next to, like the four or five um so maybe that kind of the four five train so that maybe kind of has something to do with it but the landlord um who is also like a dope person by the way like she and i text all the time and she's like been to some of the parties we had and like highly encouraged us to throw parties it was kind of funny oh my god i love Um, that no she's amazing um she 
was like having trouble like finding people like to rent especially for like a four person and since like i have a team of four it's like okay we're always moving around together and like basically we all work from home already because of uh just startup stuff um we were just like oh well she's having trouble finding a place like for four people can rent this place is like like definitely like affordable like um for new york prices i think it was like seven thousand a month or something so like split four ways it's like yeah that's still kind of expensive you know less than two thousand each for like yeah for a big place i mean and you had like i mean you have like funding coming in right from yeah 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 but still i feel like that's like not super crazy for new york um yeah definitely yeah it's like definitely within the range of normal rents for new york unfortunately yeah (laughs) but yeah it's it's really funny because like i feel like matt you and i didn't really start like interacting a lot on twitter until like 100 gex put out their album and i was like wait no this album because you were putting me on you're like wait this album's really good i think it's the album of the year and so i took a listen and i was like wait pause they're kind of doing something here oh my god i didn't know that that's how we that's how we like started interacting that's so funny i feel like like 100 gex and charlie xcx somehow built my entire like social (laughs) circle it's kind of freaky like how you can just you know pin everything back to them or something yeah (laughs) but yeah i think like then once you moved to new york and like i knew that you were in new york and you knew that i was in new york then we were like oh okay like this makes sense yeah we should interact we should hang out (laughs) and like you kind of like like pass like the i'm honestly down to hang out with like anyone but after i saw you were a blade stand too I was like, oh, wait, this guy's cool. <laughs> yes. No. Oh, my God. I remember because I was, like, just becoming a drainer. Like, for, I guess, for those who don't know, first of all, that's really <laughs> sad. But, like, there are these musicians. You say Blade. I say Blady. So, Blady, Tybo Digital, and Echo 2K. It's Drain Gang. Go listen to them. They're kind of, like, what people always say, um, oh, it's bad, but you get used to it. Like, they definitely have a weird sound. And I was just getting into them, I think, after they released their album all together. Was it called? Oh, Trash Island. Trash Island. I think is kind yeah. of how I like got into them. And then you and Jasper, who's one of your co-founders. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, were like already into them. And I remember when I went to that first party that you invited me to in Harlem, like we talked about Blady and like Drain Gang for a significant <laughs> period. Yeah, and it's it's really funny because like I originally hated Blade. Um I'm I'm a five, I'm gonna be real. Cause like, I don't know. The, Jasper played what was his uh, his album Ice Dancer all the time when we lived together. And, yeah, that's a good and, one. Like, Virginia, yeah, it's really good. But like at the time, I was like, it, he just played it in the car all the time, and I was like, I don't like the beats, and like I don't like how he's rapping. They just didn't mesh for me. Yeah, yeah. And then one day it just clicked, and I was like, wait, what was I thinking before? That's that was dumb. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so funny because I I truly enjoy like Blady's music so much and like 100 Gex and all that stuff. But sometimes like I had a moment. A few months ago where I was walking down the street and I listened to like a 100 Gex song and then a Sophie song and then a Blady song and then an Echo 2K song like all in a row and I was like wait what the fuck am I doing like what happened to me <laughs> like this is kind of gross like I just took a step back and I was like wait imagine if I just played all five of the songs that I just listened to to someone who had never heard any of these artists they would be like you're a freak like yeah. <laughs> it's it's so weird because I feel like now I find that music like so normal and tolerable and I forget that it's like okay all they're doing is turning auto-tune up all the way and then they have this like weird production under it like I don't know it's so funny yeah it's like I kind of like have this little like game I play with people sometimes um where I'm just like try to play as like the most like bad music 
I mean, I say bad, but, like, I still like it. Yeah. Like, like, things that you don't anticipate that other people will like, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, objectively off-putting music. Right. Um, for people. And, like, seeing how they react to it. And if they love it, I'm like, yo, wait, welcome. But if they don't, then I'm like, you know what? That's completely and understandably fair. <laughs> yeah. No, this this is funny because I was actually going to bring this up. You're you're probably the number one Emily Montez stan on, on the Twitter timeline. Yes, sir. <laughs> so for... For those who don't know who Emily Montez is, she is a five-year-old artist. She uses this app called Rap Chat to make some of the best music in the last decade. And her songs will be like 30 seconds long or maybe even less. Like her, She has an entire album called Emily Montez, a self-titled album, that's like five minutes in total. And it's like 10 songs. And one time, so Alex, you and I went to Sean Bay's place and we were just like hanging out with like, him and his fiance at the time and one other person and then you were just like let's play Emily Montez and I was like what like that's so brave I mean it ended up being like great it was like really funny but I was like oh my god that's so brave like you're just bringing up Emily Montez (laughs) with all these people who have no clue who she is and it's like it's very much like something that most people probably would not find tolerable (laughs) I just think like even if you don't find Emily Montez tolerable, you have to, like, at least appreciate her genius. Like, she's five years old, and, like, she probably has a ghost rapper, but, I mean, a ghost writer, but, like, her delivery is, like, absolutely out of this world. Like, I've never seen, like, someone rap with such confidence. Like, she really is the best rapper since Nicki or Chance the Rapper. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, there's something about, like, the level of lyricism that she has as, because I don't know, like, I mean, I guess she could have a ghostwriter or support from her parents or something like that, but some of the things that she says, I'm like, only a five-year-old could come up with this, and you know exactly. that it's coming from, like, a very real place, because it's not like she's, she's probably not old enough to be able to, you know, be like, oh, this is marketable, I'm gonna say something that's marketable or that's relatable or exactly. something, like, she's literally just being herself, like, into her phone over these, like, honestly, really good beats off of rap chat, and then just, like, randomly cutting the song, like, 12 seconds in, when there's, like, not, the beat has not concluded, she's just like, okay, this is over. It's funny, because, like, sometimes she cuts the song when, like, her verse hasn't concluded either. (laughs) (laughs) She's, like, in the middle of the word, and the song just ends. (laughs) I literally know, like, I remember when, like, um, Emily first started, like, popping a bit, I was like, yes, finally people are understanding, and, like, I, during a work day, I was just, like, I completely forgot, and I just, like, played her on, like, loop, and, like, that was the fastest work day I ever had. I just listened to em- the Emily Montez album <laughs> on loop for eight hours straight. No! That's terrifying, that's because it's five minutes, so that's, what, that's 12 times an hour? So, what, that's, like, 90, yeah. you listened to the album 96 times, you gave her fucking 1,000 streams in one day? Yes, I, <laughs> I, mean, I remember, because she had, she had less than 1,000 before that day, and after that day, she had 3,000. So, oh, um, you were like a early, oh my god, you were first on Bitcoin, you were first on crypto, you were first on Emily Montez, wow. And honestly, we have an early adopter discovering here. Her, <laughs> discovering her is my greatest achievement so far. Yeah, because now she's popping, like now, I don't even know how many followers she has, or monthly listeners she has on Spotify, but it's like a lot. I think it's over it's like, decent amount, yeah. yeah, it's like over 15,000, maybe 30,000, maybe more. It's now. Okay. Wow. Like, she's like, yeah, she's getting it. Yeah, because she, she, like, released more music, too, I think. She has, like, a whole other album, yeah. and then she, yeah, she has, like, she she did this thing where she released a single, but it was actually, like, four songs, but she just put them on one track. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, like, title slash title slash title, and it's, like, all these different songs, but she just releases them as one. It's so innovative. I feel like, you know, when Tierra Wack came out with her Wack World, and it was 15, yeah. 
tracks in 15 minutes and everyone was like, oh my God, she's optimizing, you know, streaming algorithms because you get paid per stream. Exactly, so when yeah. your songs are really short, you're winning. And then Emily Montez like took it to the next level and she was like, okay, well, I'm going to re release an entire album that's five minutes long and I'm going to get 10 streams in five minutes. Exactly. Yeah. And like, what's even crazier is like, so you have, your song has to be at least a minute for it to count like as a streamable thing. So like, Oh, I didn't even know, know that. About, yeah. Yeah. She didn't even know about like the, the song that like limit at all. She just like, I'm gonna put my art out there. Oh my God. And that's what I love. She was like, that's not her. She was doing it for the art. She wasn't doing it for the profit. She didn't even make exactly. money off of it. Wow. She was like, I'm gonna make an album. More and of she this. Did, and it's phenomenal. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Everyone, everyone go stream Emily Montez. If you haven't, Alex and I are some of the top Emily Montez stands. Also, I think she's like a thing on TikTok as well. So try to find her on TikTok. I'm sure she has good content on there. I honestly haven't really seen it, but have you seen her TikToks? Yeah, so she had a TikTok, it got deleted, she made another one, and that also got deleted, and I kind of feel bad, because she's on her third TikTok now, and she has, like, a tenth of the followers she had before. Oh my god, that's actually devastating. Yeah. It was so sad, she posted, like, a little video, and she's like, yeah, my TikTok got deleted, um, everyone please go follow my new one. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I want to return to your, your New York era, because you, not only did you have that one party when you were living in Harlem, where... Um, Isabel and I came, but then you later, why was it that for some reason you were in an Airbnb in Williamsburg and like all of your co-founders had left, but you were staying in New York? What, what happened there? Yeah. So I, um, I didn't really get the full New York experience and I was like really upset about that. Um, yeah. Cause of COVID. Yeah. So I was like, Hey, could I just like go to New York for like a month and like kind of live out like my last like unrealized dreams mm -hmm. and because I at this point we figured that we weren't going to move to New York as like a potential place for our startup and I was like dang I was in the city for six months and I literally never even got to experience it so they're like yeah no that's cool um yeah just go up there and then we'll just do work from home essentially um because that's what a bunch of people are doing anyway um in hindsight, I shouldn't have done that because I don't think it was like the most helpful, but it definitely was like a good like personal thing for me to do, um, and just like hang out with friends and stuff. Um, and yeah, so yeah, when you we met again in New York was when I had like that fat ass Airbnb, um, which was also <laughs> cheap because COVID. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you this is this was so funny to me. So like you invited it was once again it was Isabel and I who came to this like it was like a grill out thing because you had an outdoor space at your airbnb so we roll up there's like quite a few people there and this was like we were sketched out because this was like during the covid era but we we like <laughs> felt relatively certain that it was fine because i don't know we we just did so we we roll up and then one of the first things like we start talking to you and you're like oh yeah ha 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 like my brother i just came from virginia uh like and what your your like childhood home or wherever with your family yeah, right. and my brother had covid <laughs> like while i was there and we were like wait what so you just came from a house with, with your brother who had covid and now you're like throwing a rager like what's going on here <laughs> yeah and so it's funny because like i probably should have thought about about that better but um no i did get tested um i actually got tested twice after that happened Cause I was like, damn, nigga, like I really got to do this and I have to go get tested and shit. And I was so mad at my brother. Um, cause like he was being dumb. He, he went on like a beach trip with his high school friends. And this is like when COVID was like highly rampant in like May. 
And um, I was like, Andrew, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> um, and my parents were like, no, like he can go as long as he cuts his beard. Because his beard is ugly and I don't want him going outside like that. <laughs> oh my god. And so my brother <laughs> shaved his beard and then went on this little trip. Um, ended up catching COVID and causing an outbreak in our small town. <laughs> But luckily it was just like among the kids and it wasn't anything serious, but like basically like one out of 10 people from my high school ended up catching COVID because of him. Because of him? Oh my God. Because I remember yeah. you said that he was like quarantining in his room at home. So you felt relatively certain that you wouldn't have gotten it from him. But I just thought it was so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Just me coming up like, yo, my brother just had COVID. That's crazy. Anyways, I left there and I'm hanging out here now. <laughs> yeah. Like welcome to the party that I'm literally hosting with like 20 people at it. Yeah. <laughs> No, I, I definitely didn't have COVID because I, like, got tested, like, um, yeah, I waited, like, the four days and got tested. And I was really annoyed because this was the second time for me getting tested. And, like, I didn't know this, but my insurance only covered one test at a time. And so I, like, got another test, and I got a medical bill for, like, $400 for the test. Wait, $400? Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is this? I'm not going to pay it. So I just never paid it. <laughs> Wait, also, this is this is tangential but how does i guess you're under 26 so you could just be on your health your parents health insurance but how does like health insurance work when you have a startup do you know yeah yeah so um there's a bunch of like providers that like basically can set up health insurance for you um like we use gusto um which is basically like an hr management software um and i just put in all the information um all the preferences for my co-founders and i handle like all that stuff um and then find which um, which provider would make the most sense. Um, and there's a bunch of like different levels. Like you can be on like the bronze level, which is like an $8,000 deductible. And until like the health insurance starts kicking in, which like kind of fucked up, honestly. Yeah. Like um, that shouldn't even exist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like health insurance That's is like, not fucked. Insurance. When I, yeah. When I was filling it out, I was like, health insurance is fucked. I'm like, this is the lowest level. So like a lot of people like honestly like go for this, but like if you have like any medical, like thing unless it's like your arm is like chopped off and you have to pay like hundreds of thousands of dollars for like a surgery it's most medical stuff is going to cost like at least like a couple hundred dollars and that's gonna be straight out of your pocket because it doesn't cover the deductible right yeah okay so basically like you have it's it's like having employer-sponsored health insurance like it's just that the company is really small and so you do all of this because what exactly is your role at at the startup like what do you focus on on like day-to-day yeah, yeah. So on, um, I basically, so with Jasper, Jared, and Kane, my three co-founders, mm-hmm. they all develop um, the app. Um, so Jasper works on the games mostly, because um, we do gaming. Um, and Kane works on the main app, which is our React Native app that you see on your home screen. And then Jared works on our iMessage app. Um, so that's the app you see in iMessage and like all the interactions that happen there. Okay. So it's kind of crazy that we're working on like kind of three products in one, the game side, the React Native app side, and then the iMessage app side. And so it's like, that's a lot of like time and commitment. And because of that, like they're all super busy. So I handle all the operations. Um, So basically everything like legal, everything accounting, everything HR, um, everything related to like our socials um, and everything in between like talking to users making sure we're getting feedback um making sure like we can like live and paying our taxes and all this type of stuff right so So it's like everything that isn't coding yeah okay 
because you're, I guess you're kind of like the the non-tech person in the tech world, which yeah. I think I think is interesting because I kind of feel like that's what. So I worked in tech for two years, and like I was kind of that. Like I was, I wasn't like coding things every day. Like I wouldn't say my job was. You know, it felt weird to say that I was in tech because I wasn't like a software developer or something. And I think it's kind of like a weird place to be in because I was like, how do I even tell people what my job is? Because it feels kind of fraudulent to tell people that. I feel like when you tell people that you're in tech, they're like, oh, you're a software engineer or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Everyone's like, oh, so like, what languages do you know? Or like, someone's like, oh, I'm trying to learn this language. Like, do you have any tips? Or people already know the language. Like, oh, cool. Like, what do you think about like this, like, uh, this new feature set in JavaScript? And I'm like, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know what's going on there. I don't know anything about that. Um, so speaking about like user user feedback and like getting people to actually use the app, I remember one time you told me that the app kind of popped off because of like a viral Facebook post or something. We so as soon as we put it on the on the iMessage app store, we started getting like downloads like immediately, mm-hmm. and we were like so shocked. We we're like, wait, we have people like using our app. This is weird. <laughs> Because, like, with Fad Mania days, I think, like, literally, like, the day, the month before, um, the month before we, like, launched Game Bytes, we had 10 people total using our app for the month or something. Oh, damn. And it was, like, really depressing, and you're like, dang, this is, like, flopping, like, real hard. Um, so we switched to Game Bytes. We launched, actually, almost a year ago now, um, and as soon as you put it on the iMessage app store, we started getting, like, a couple like hundred downloads a day or something and we're like wait wh- how first off how are people finding this like we literally haven't like advertised the, like it at all yeah done anything to promote it it was just like people were just searching the iMessage app store scrolling all the way down and finding our app and like oh cool new games on iMessage that's so wild I would never do that I would never do that like go on the yeah, app right? store and just you know just, just browsing scroll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but I mean that's great I mean they found it so you won yeah yeah and like um we started like growing like in like the number of downloads a day um and at first we chalked it up to like covid because you're like oh everyone's just like home and stuff but like even after like things started opening up and everything um like our numbers like just kept going like up when it comes when it came to downloads and we're like oh wait i think we might be onto something (laughs) and then in the end of august uh 2020 some random like some random dude from maryland posted a screenshot of us in the iMessage app store no no it wasn't even us in the iMessage app store I don't think it was just a random screenshot of like of like Game Bytes itself and it was like hey I'm gonna put y'all on real quick before this blows up and no links to the app um, no name of like what the actual app is and he just posted that screenshot and then we like get a bunch of alerts at like 3am in the morning and we're like, oh, hey, like, what's up? Like, there's a bunch, we're getting a bunch of errors. And it turns out that, like, a bunch of people, like, downloaded the app. And we started running out of, like, usernames for people. Because we set it up to be, like, at a max cap of, like, 100,000. Oh, like, wow. Oh, no, we're not going to break that for, like, a while. So this is fine. And then we checked. And we're like, oh, wait. We had, like, 200,000 downloads in the past, like, like a couple hours. Wait, that's crazy. So did you ever identify the guy who... Like, I don't know, did you, like, talk to this guy who evidently popularized your app? Yeah, so we, like, we really tried to, like, find him for a bit. And then eventually, I don't know how, but Jared found him and found his Facebook and found the post that, like, about us going viral. Um, the post that went viral had, like, 
40,000 shares on Facebook, like 80,000 comments, like some absurd amount. Damn. And um, he, we, we reached out to him. We're like, yo, like, we're trying to, like, thank you for, like, putting us on. Like, we're trying to, like, help you out and, like, trying to, like, support him. Like, be like, okay, cool. Like, we want to share some of the, like, the – since we've blown up, we want to share, like, how we've blown up and, like, potentially share some, like, wealth with you and everything like that. And um, he just never responded to us. <laughs> That's so weird. I feel like I would be like, yeah, yeah pay me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're like, yeah. That's like, so surprising. Yeah. And but, then he finally got back to us like months later and it was like, yo, cool. He like didn't care at all. He's like, yeah, I go viral all yeah. the time, whatever. Like, yeah. <laughs> enjoy, enjoy the cash. <laughs> but actually, so what is, is there a profit mechanism for your app? Because I know it's like kind of common, I think, for startups to just like not be profitable at first, because I know like Snapchat didn't have a monetization mechanism for the longest time, but they were still worth like a ton of money. How does that work for you? Yeah. So we kind of consider ourselves in like the same vein of Snapchat as like this is kind of like a consumer social app in that like you play with your friends or like you use it with your friends and kind of create this like this kind of circle of friends around you that you consciously use the app with, or also as a way of like discovering new friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sector really doesn't have to worry about monetization because a bunch of like the venture capital firms that like give out money are like, oh, we see you guys have like a really good product here. You guys have good retention. You guys have good growth. We trust you to figure out monetization in the future after we give you this money. Um, and it's great for us because like mobile gaming is like one of like, it's pretty easy. It's like, okay, cool. We can make a bunch of stuff that people like genuinely like want to use without having like to force them and like make it feel like evil about it mm-hmm. um so we can give like different game modes different skins that you can just like pay for potentially or like a subscription that allows you to like do different stuff like that so it's monetization is a very for further down the line we just want to make sure like people we make a product that like people want to like actually use first yeah that makes sense so when when it does come time how do you know when it's time to monetize like is it once you reach a certain number of users or like once you start running out of money or how do you navigate that yeah so there's this uh concept called product market fit um and essentially it's like you have your retention hits like a certain threshold and your growth hits a certain threshold Mm -hmm. we're like okay you're gaining a lot of users but you're also keeping them and so you're just kind of like skyrocketing like your your like little chart of like growth is like an exponential like graph because you're just like going up and makes all other previous like metrics kind of like insignificant. Um, and when you hit that, it's like okay, cool, we have a product that people like actually generally want to use, and you made something that like people like like. Um, mm-hmm. And once you have something that people like, it's like okay, cool, now we can like, if it's like worthy enough to be able to like okay, cool, here are some features that like you might want to have extra. Or something like that that's like it makes sense to pay because it's like why would you make someone pay for something that they don't even like it doesn't make too much sense right and you mentioned at the beginning that you know the situation is kind of precarious like you don't know when maybe you'll have to shut down or something so how would you under what conditions would you have to shut down or would it be like not worth it to keep going and working on the app yeah so i would say like so when we were in like the fad mania era, mm-hmm. um, we had barely any users, um, but we still had like a decent amount of funding left. Um, if we were in the same position, like then as we were, if we were in the same position now as we were then, um, then I think we'd be considering, like okay, um, the money's kind of like running dry. Um, we don't have any growth to show for it, and we have no clue what to do. 
maybe this might be one of those times where we just like cut our losses get the money back to our investors and then just kind of like maybe work on something different or just like i don't know just do something like all go our separate ways um but luckily that didn't happen and we kind of have like a pretty good like roadmap where it's like we have our growth down we just need to get our retention um Mm. and that's a lot easier than trying to figure out both growth and retention so i guess it's like it's kind of like a feeling you have um and there's not really like one any one set way but it's just like you kind of like based on your data and like based on like how comfortable and like how stressed out you are about like going to the next round of funding or like getting to the next stage essentially of like how how you like gain users and how you grow and retain them um then it's kind of like okay cool i know we're doing well now or i know we're not doing well now so let's consider like next options okay so i'm also curious about like the relationship between you and the investors so like how much agency do you have like so they get they give you a sum of money and then you're expected to obviously use it to grow the business but like is there what's stopping you from just like paying yourself some crazy salary and then just being like oh it didn't work out and you never really tried and you just kind of like scammed the investors like what what is the relationship between you and the investors and like what protections are there how much control do they have over what you're doing the relationship is it's kind of weird like so we raise a what is called like a seed round and mm-hmm. essentially it's like um every venture capital firm understands that when you raise a seed round or when they raise a seed round that like there is a really high chance the company will not succeed um because they have no metrics to really to show for it other than like a good idea a good team and maybe some like early preliminary data um so it's more so like them just making a crazy ass bet it's like putting going to the casino and putting it like all on like 16 at the roulette table or something right. instead of like putting it on black or like trying to like, hedge your bets it's like okay i'm gonna put it all on this one thing and see how it works out so legally when they gave us the money we can do kind of like whatever we want with it um like we could have invested in crypto which would have been honestly amazing if we had done that because <laughs> um, we were thinking about it for like no it's not profitable. like a wise decision yeah yeah it's like not a wise decision a wise decision to do with the money um because it's one it's not like our it technically is our money but it's like we're kind of like beholden to the idea of like we want to like it's a symbiotic relationship you want us to come out on top you want the investors to come out on top and if they don't feel good about a decision that we do we kind of take that in mind um just like any good relationship is um so yeah like technically we could pay ourselves like a crazy like salary amount um but we don't do that because it's like we also believe that like in the, what's in the best interest for the company um and the investors trust us to do it like what would be in the best interest for the company okay yeah i suppose it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to like go through the process of pitching your ideas and going to all these venture capitalists and getting this funding doing all that if you didn't actually believe in the idea so i guess there's kind of like this built-in thing where it's like okay we're we're actually interested in making this company work out we're not just going to take your money and run but i'm actually very surprised that there's not like some some other legal mechanism that's you know preventing that because i would expect that you know they probably have a team of lawyers that could just tell you like hey like we're gonna give you money but it's conditional on this this and this like i'm surprised that they give you so much freedom but that's cool so actually um white combinators is the reason for that um originally venture capital firms were like they basically had all the leverage um because they were the ones with the money yeah it came to them like needing money they're like okay cool we know you need the money so we can do it on our terms 
But um, when Paul Graham started White Combinator in whatever year, I think it was like 2005 or seven or something like that, um, he noticed that like that was kind of pretty predatory from like his like first startup run. And um, he was like, okay, cool. I want to create like a little like unionized startup thing essentially. Oh, word. Um, okay. And so basically White Combinator protects like a bunch of um, all the startups that go through it and like cascading down from them protects like startups from like a bunch of predatory practices by VCs. And so what is known as like a safe like contract um, basically is like, okay, cool. We're, we're just like, this is like a goodwill contract essentially. And not like, we're going to give you the money. Um, we trust you to do it. Like technically you don't have any equity until it actualizes until like we raise a series A or something, um, which is like the next round of funding. Um, so it's like a pretty like low risk, like low stakes um, contract. And it kind of gives a lot of power to the startups instead of the, the VC firms. Okay, yeah, that's so interesting. I did not know that. I, I did not know that that was a role of, like, an incubator or of Y Combinator. Mm-hmm. But I'm also wondering, so when you first approach um, either venture capitalists or, or incubators, like, how far along in the process of having an idea and being able to prove that you can actually do it do you have to be? Like, did you have to already have some code for the app, or did you just have to have an idea and a business plan? Or, like, what, what was it that you had to present to Y Combinator, or and then and then what was it that you had to present to actual VCs? Yeah, so um, for Y Combinator, one of their like famous little like sayings is like, "We'll take anything, like even an idea," um, which was probably true back when it first started. Um, and they had like an all-star cast with um, a bunch of their first like members. Um, they had Steve Huffman and Alexis Ohanian of Reddit. They had um, Sam Altman, who's doing like open AI. Um, they also had, let's see, that guy from like uh, MIT or Harvard or something who like put all of like the books on like JSTOR or something and like basically like gave a bunch of like free education to like a bunch of people. Um, they had like an all star cast and essentially like a bunch of them kind of like came in with ideas. Um, rather than like actual like products or if they were a product it was like very minimalistic mm. whereas um wait now it's so like, okay just to clarify when you're saying cast here these are this is like the first season of people who got funding like are these yeah, are yeah. these advisors of some kind or are they the people who are actually coming to y combinator they're with the ideas? actual like yeah they're the actual like startup founders uh, that like came to y combinator with oh, okay the, intention of like working on their product so like and reddit is th- is the product of of the incubator y combinator yeah oh wow okay um, i didn't know that mm-hmm. and i think it was i was reading um paul graham's essay on like how it started um and it was actually pretty interesting um he was basically like yeah like a bunch of, we didn't really have like a structure at this time and we kind of learned as we went but a bunch of like crazy people were like, hey, like, yeah, I'm just gonna do this random ass program that just started in Boston and just work on a, like my startup for a bit. And like, they gave them like a really small stipend, like I think it was like $500 a month or something like that. It was definitely not the 150,000 it is now. You could do that then, but now it's completely different and that like, they wanna see more of like what you have because um, their entire philosophy is like, you wanna fund like billion dollar startups essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and to kind of claim yourself as a billion dollar startup with like no, with nothing but an idea is kind of like, you can't really do that when you have people like, uh, let's see who, who just went through recently. That was like pretty impressive. Um, 
yeah, if you, like even you have like Airbnb coming through, like oh hey, like this is <laughs> this is happening, um, something like that. Oh yeah, like they're so, already established, and then they're coming through with yeah. a, with a product that already has like people using it. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like I think like the ACLU went through Y Combinator like two, like a couple batches ago. Wait, um, what? How does that work? Yeah, yeah. There's just no criteria I, for like what it. It doesn't have to be like a tech company. Yeah, it's it should just be a anything. Startup. It's like okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like a startup can mean like a bunch of very loose things. Like you can have like a hundred million users <laughs> or something or like a hundred million in revenue and still apply to as Y Combinator because it's like, okay, cool. I want like, I still want like startup advice and like access to like this network and stuff like that. Yeah, gotcha. So being in the tech world and especially the startup world, like San Francisco is kind of the Mecca and you, you were there for a while, right? Like before you came to New York, I think you were in San Francisco and I remember you had like some strong feelings about it. Can you talk about San Francisco? Yeah, San Francisco, like, the area is so beautiful, but the people are so annoying. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> so what type of people did you have to interact with? Like, what what was the turnoff for you? Um, I don't, I'm, I'm going to put this guy on blast. Um, yes, he's actually a really nice guy. But, like, I remember we went to, like, this one, of like, tech event. And essentially he was, like, he was talking about how like people in tech are discriminated against in the city and he was like i don't understand that because like you have gay people and they were discriminated against and now i see gay people discriminating against like tech people and it doesn't make sense because like you understand where we're coming from and i was like dog that's like, what are oh you talking my about God. <laughs> tech... i was like you make 150,000 a year yeah like tech like, workers white, are the like... new the new oppressed class like everyone yeah. <laughs> i don't know well actually no this i feel like this is actually an interesting topic because there was recently what company was it like some huge tech company was trying to unionize and everyone was like it was kind of a contentious issue because people were like oh is this really our priority like do we really need to have like google unionizing when we don't even have like some low-wage service workers in unions and things like that so i feel like there is something interesting to say about what our priorities are when it comes to like workers rights and stuff like that but yeah i mean that's clearly a stretch <laughs> yeah <laughs> to be like okay no, definitely... yeah tech workers are oppressed like yeah <laughs> we need a voice i definitely exactly i was like yo what is he talking and like he was like 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 i've never met someone so convinced about being oppressed in their life and i was like what is going on here like he legitimately like considered like techie to be like a slur oh my god because is there i mean i'm i'm sure there actually is like some sort of anti-tech sentiment in san francisco and by that i mean i know there is because they're doing a lot you know they're raising the cost of living they're probably pushing people yeah. out all this stuff but like is it obvious when you're in san francisco like that people don't approve of you being there as a tech person? I mean, so I, the reason why I didn't like San Francisco was because like all the circles and like all the events I went to, almost everyone was like working in tech there. Mm -hmm. um, and like I kind of live like in the, like in the like city city. Um, and first off, it's like stupid expensive. We were paying like an absurd amount. We were paying, I think it was 9,500 for like a 1,600, like 1600 square foot like four bedroom which was two which was like 2500 more than our new york place yeah damn and we had literally like a fifth of the space wait that's wild but i guess also when you were in new york you were in harlem so like yeah i mean i can imagine that if you were somewhere downtown it, it might be similar but yeah that's 1600 square feet for 9500 dollars buy yeah it was it was absurd but um yeah so like I would I would always just go to tech events because like that's kind of like what I what I work in and um 
everyone just talked about tech. It was weird. Yeah, like, <laughs> like it's just so one-dimensional. Like, yeah, I was like, don't you guys, like, do anything else? Like, what concerts have you been to? And then they would say some, like, lame-ass shit that they went to. Like, not even, like, a judging their music thing. It's just, like, just lame stuff. And I was like, okay, I don't want to hang out with you. You're boring. Wait, people. wait, how do you get away with saying that it was lame but without judging their music taste? Like, what do you mean by that? It's like, they wouldn't even go to, like, actual concerts. They would go to, like, cover bands of stuff. Oh, okay. I mean, like, I get it. That's, like, I don't know. I, I like cover bands if I just, like, go to a bar and they're there. But if you're, like, if your exactly, main yeah. music taste is, like, oh, I love this local cover. Like, I don't know. That's just kind of weird to bring up. Like, when I'm asking you about your music, I probably want to connect over it. I'm not going to know what this cover band is. Like, just tell me you like Justin Bieber or something. Exactly. And it's, like, and I get it. Like, cover bands are fun. Like, they're they're great. And, like, but if you, like, constantly go to seek that out, or, like, you go to, like, you're, like, oh, this is my favorite DJ. But he just, like, he knows that, like, that DJ, like, knows that, like, they're just playing sets to appease, like, a certain crowd. Like, a Chuck E. Cheese DJ or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Then, like... I don't know. I just it's just off putting. Yeah, yeah. Like just being so 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 obsessed with tech and not being able to escape it. Yeah, that yeah. does not sound ideal. I feel like I would get really mad if every single person in my city was in the same industry and like all thought about the same things and cared about the same things. And yeah, I was like, paying like weird. three times more than I should be to live there. <laughs> exactly. And like a bunch of people have this like weird contrarian view because like, everyone loves to just like have their own opinion in tech. And like everyone should have their own opinion, but sometimes it's like you know you should like know when to like voice it yeah you mean like a certain demeanor like people are just they just want to argue about everything yeah it's like they want to argue about everything and like there's kind of like a a lot of people in tech have like they're like they're mostly like leftist they have like leftist views yeah it's like some of it's like performative or it's just like not really like well thought out it's like i'm doing this because like i feel like i should be doing this instead of oh i'm doing this because like this makes sense yeah yeah Yeah, I think that tech does this weird thing, like, especially high tech and, like, emerging tech does this weird thing where they act like tech is gonna be super, like, progressive. Like, they act like technology is gonna be what enables us to, like, be more equal as a society or to, like, help people out. And it's like, no, when, when has tech ever really done that? Like, every time tech gets power, it just uses it for profit. Like, yeah, of course, there is potential for tech to bring about, like, actual better conditions for people but does it do that like do we have the proper financial infrastructure in order for that to actually happen like i don't know i think it's weird how tech people will will glorify tech for having the ability to do that even though it doesn't have a track record of actually doing so exactly yeah and like um yeah i'm just like even thinking about like the wealth gap it's like so many people in tech just got money because like they got lucky all everything i've learned about a startup is like basically it all comes down to you're either lucky or you're not like you can do everything flawlessly and if like you just don't get the right person like to like to like talk about you or like it wasn't the right time or people like users just don't like like that particular idea at the time then it doesn't matter you can just like fail um and so like a bunch of these like tech people like sure like you put in like so much work it's like i started as like most startups especially in like san francisco like it put in like so much work Mm -hmm. um but even then you can put in like you can do like 80 hour work weeks um and everything and it would still be 20 percent work and then 80 percent luck and then it's like okay cool so like you like these people like just like think that they got like they were right which like kind of but more so it's like hey you guys just got lucky and then it inflates their ego and they're like okay i'm right about like everything or like i'm very conceited now and it's, it's so annoying 
Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. And I wonder, I mean, you're, you're saying luck, and I think that some of, some of luck is just a network. You know, you can have luck in networking and things like that, but I'm guessing that there's also a, a lot of just, like, being successful because you know people who can fork money over, basically. Exactly, yeah. And, like, that's, that's kind of, like, yeah, what I mean by luck, too. It's, like, it's not just... It's, like, who you know and, like, how, like, you grew up and, like, the circumstances, like, around you right now. Um, and that's why, like, living in San Francisco is kind of a necessary evil at times. Um, less so now with, like, a bunch of work-from-home stuff. But it's, like, by going there, it's, like, you increase, like, the amount of luck you have of, like, running into someone who can, like, basically fix the problem you have or just, like, elevate your, like, stat- like company to, like, a new level or something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about how how it is that people actually translate their ideas into startups because I feel like I can totally imagine that, you know, you could be drunk at a party and just tell someone some idea that you have about starting a company and never address it ever again. And like, maybe it was a really <laughs> genius, like maybe it was genuinely a really good idea, but you just don't really know how to navigate that system. And then there could be someone else, like the startup system and the investing system and VC and all that. And then there could be someone else who has, you know, an equally as good idea or an even worse idea, but just happens to have the resources to know what to do with it. And then you'll, you know, you'll have totally different outcomes between those people. It seems like there's such a knowledge gap. Like people don't know what to do with their ideas. Like, who do I tell? What do I do in order to actually start a company? seems like there's a lot of barriers there. Yeah. And that's like what kind of Y Combinator does. It's like, they really help you with like the company, the business side. Cause like most of the time you're just like, a developer or like an idea person you don't really know exactly how to start like legally like a business and like all those like legal like um like legal like customs that come with like starting a business and like talking to venture capital firms and everything so like, com- like combinator is like okay like we're gonna give you advice a uh, heavily advice like on that and like how to do that but um the biggest thing is like you kind of just have to like start it just kind of just do it um because I think, like, experience, and, like, a lot of people say this, too, like, experience is, like, the best way to, like, learn how to start, like, a company. Because, um, like, you'll either fail or you won't. But if you fail, it's, like, it's a big deal, but also, like, you can just, like, do something new, too. Like, it's, you like, you, gain, you gain so much experience, like, just, like, like, knowledge just from, like, doing something that can't really be replicated by just, like, trying to set everything up in place before and then trying to go at it at once. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that totally makes sense. I've heard a lot of people say, like, oh, it's a, you know, you, if you just fail over and over and over, then you can learn from it. But it's also like, okay, who, who has the opportunity? Who has the financial opportunity to just fail over and over and over? Like, for, exactly. for most people, there's a limit. Like, you can't just dedicate two years to trying to start three different companies and trying to get funding and, you know, spending all day doing this without any guarantee that a check is going to come in. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's pretty obvious, but it's just another way that you know there there are people who have access to these things and then there are people who don't and i think like the, the fact that you were able to do all of this while you're in school like while you're in college and high school when you're not expected to have any income and you're kind of like living off of loans or off your parents money is like really iconic because i feel like maybe if you tried to do this later in life you you wouldn't be able to do you exactly. feel that way college yeah college is like one of the things that like i guess so the entrepreneurship experience at like most colleges kind of like sucks because it's very much like a corporate like experience like okay like this is either how to start a brick and mortar business Mm -hmm. or like we're gonna give you some tips and stuff on like how to start like a like a small like smaller scale stuff but like one of the things that like that was like pretty good advice from a bunch of people was like look you're in college now like you literally like 
to have zero, like, you have zero, like, cost when it comes to failing. Like, if you start a company, you're literally just using your free time. Like, yeah. You, you fail today, and then you just go to class tomorrow. And maybe just start up again, maybe you don't. But there's, like, it's easy. Like, everyone can start off with an idea and just start working on that idea. And then, like, you'll just talk to friends, talk to, like, other people who would potentially use, like, whatever you're doing. And they're like, yeah, no, this is a good idea. And then you expand from there. But if it's not a good idea, then it's like, okay, cool. How do we pivot from this? And, um, yeah, it's, like, just talking to people and, like, getting, like, from their ground source doesn't cost, like, any money at all. It's, like, very, like, bare bones, honestly. Yeah. Okay, so I want to move on. Uh, like, I, I really wanted to ask you about all of the, the Game Byte stuff, the tech stuff, because um, I was, like, super interested in all that. Um, but I want to move on. So there's just like a couple of personal, like just things that have come up in conversation before that I want to bring <laughs> up because I think they're funny. So first of all, tell us about your relationship with bananas. <laughs> <laughs> so I've actually like, I've never eaten a banana in my entire life. This is insane. Like, I cannot believe this. Do, have you had like banana candy before? Like a banana Laffy Taffy? Yeah, I've had, like, artificial banana Oh, stuff. that's even worse. That's actually worse because the artificial banana flavor is, like, not banana at all. I'm sure people have told you this, but, like... Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. It's funny because, like, I love artificial banana-flavored stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait, this is kind of... It's, like, it tastes fake, and, like, I like that, like, kind of fake, like, artificial taste it has. Yeah, it's, like... T- yeah, it's not even close. I, I can't believe that even though you enjoy that artificial flavor, you still won't, like, haven't eaten a banana. Although you said that at this point it's just, like, okay, I'm... I'm just sticking to it because it's funny, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, the thing is, it's, like, fruit, like, has, like, a weird texture for me. I don't know. Whenever I bite into a fruit, I feel like I'm biting into, like, a person, Um. if that makes sense. What? Okay, wait. So, would you say the same thing about meat? Like, a steak? No, because, like, I don't know. I, like, so I used to be, like, the pickiest eater. Like, I wouldn't eat, like, anything. I would eat, like, mustard, <laughs> and I would eat, like peanut butter oh god and those were like the three things i would eat um and then eventually i started like developing my palate so like um i would eat like chicken tenders and then french fries and slowly like evolving and then i started eating hot dogs and i didn't eat my first slice of pizza until like fifth grade um wait when did when did your um three ingredient phase end when did you enter your era of eating something besides bread and mustard and peanut butter I think it was, like, when I was in, like, third grade or something. It was, like, really late. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I don't know. I was, like, my parents thought something was, like, wrong with me. <laughs> like, I mean, I would, too. Me. Damn. <laughs> yeah. And, like, my parents would, like, try to force me, like, to eat food. And I remember, like, I was, like, legitimately did not like eating food that I did not like the taste of or, like, the texture of. And, like, my parents would, like, be, like, okay, you're not leaving the table until you finish your food. And so I just wouldn't leave the table. I would be there for, like, hours. Like, I remember my record, I think, was, like, six hours one day. Because um, it was, like, dinner. And, like, my parents were just annoyed because I had to go to bed because it was, like, midnight. <laughs> and I was just sitting there, arms crossed the entire time. Refusing yeah, to eat. I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I remember one time, the one time it did happen where my parents were trying to make me, like, they were just so fed up with me. They were like, okay, you need to eat, like, this, like, broccoli, like, cheddar something and i was like i already knew like most of the time i'm just like i was just being stubborn like i just didn't want to eat food that i didn't want to eat but um this time it was like okay no i legitimately actually do not like broccoli um and like i remember it smelling so bad and i took like a bite of it and i like projectile vomited like everywhere 
And my parents were like, oh, well, uh, I guess you don't have to, like, eat it then. Because, <laughs> like, I was just, like, <laughs> like, we'll give you a pass this time. Sleep. Yeah. And so I was like, wait, what if I, like, learn how to control, like, how to throw up and, like, get out of it <laughs> all the time? Yeah. I feel like people actually do that, though, because people will be like, oh, I'm allergic to this, but they actually just don't like it. Like, so many yeah. people claim an allergy, and it's like, okay, so... I mean, obviously, like, some some allergies are valid, but, like, <laughs> not all. Some people are yeah. lying about that shit. No, I, like, I had the genius idea of saying I was allergic st- to stuff on, like, whenever I would, like, order food for delivery. Because, um, like, delivery people, like, they don't care. And, like, I don't blame them. I wouldn't care either. Like, if you're getting a bunch of orders all the time, it's like, okay, like, I'm not really too pressed if I forget to put, like, pickles like to take off the pickles yeah you have to say it will like kill you or something in order for them to exactly <laughs> so yeah i'm just like okay like please take these off i'm allergic or i'll die or something like that and then they're like oh, okay yeah i guess that makes sense i don't want to like accidentally do anything so do you still have like a really restricted are there a lot of things that you won't eat to this day or have you expanded so i've actually expanded my like when i got to college um and i was like super broke i was like i just need to like eat food <laughs> Um, and it was really funny. I like, was accidentally vegetarian for a while because like I couldn't afford like meat and stuff. So I would just like eat pasta like all the time, pasta and cereal, and like that was like my diet for, like, an entire year one time. <laughs> That's so terrifying. Oh my god, pasta and but, cereal. Um, it's like just carbs basically. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> love that. And like, I would go to a bunch of events and stuff for like, like networking for college. I guess it was like meeting like the like deans and stuff and like going to like meeting other professors and like events and stuff like that and they would have food there and like if i took a food i couldn't just be like okay take a bite of it and just spit it back up because that's like disgusting first of all and also like weird i have to make a good impression with these people so i would like force myself to eat it and i'm like actually it's not that bad it's like manageable (laughs) so i view kind of food as like being like a manageable thing now um and i'll always try something at least because like why wouldn't i try like i could love it yeah exactly you can't give up on it before you try it I also remember when, I think it was when we first came to your place in Harlem, so like the first time I ever met you, we were, like, I was really drunk, and I think you were drunk too, and you were telling me that you had convinced everyone at some point, like, it was like a theme for you to convince everyone that they could smoke pee. What is this about? So, yeah. um, (laughs) I love the factual response. You're just like, yes, yes, that is something that I did. (laughs) Yeah, so like, um urine has a compound called urea in it um oh god we're getting like a stem lesson a chemistry lesson here (laughs) and it's it's really interesting because like when you vaporize pee it's not actually smoking it but it's like kind of like the act of smoking it you know it's like i'm gonna smoke like a cig i'm gonna smoke weed it's like you just like say you're smoking it um but you're vaping it right like like, this is like how people vape alcohol right like i think there's something that you can do where you put alcohol in a bottle and then you use a bike pump to like pressurize it and you can vape it yeah 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 okay so like that that. yeah except like alcohol kind of like that would probably burn because like (laughs) alcohol burns um but pee is like actually probably like one of the best drugs out there (laughs) um no like actually because like it has like very like little side effects it's very like a natural component of the body so your body already is like used to processing like pee and it's just when you like inject like inhale it um it kind of like so with cannabis like there are cannabinoids and cannabinoid oils um that bind to similar receptors in your brain they bind to the cannabinoid receptor um and pee like urea kind of like does the same thing um and so you have this like really relaxed like mellow high um 
<laughs> Wait, how much how much do you have to vape in order to get high off of it? And does it does so, it matter if it's your own? Like, does your body synthesize it differently if it's your own or someone else's? Are there people with so good if pee and bad pee? Oh yeah, trust me. Yeah, if it's your own, um, then your body like handles it a lot better. Like, if the high is a lot more mild, okay. so preferably you'd want to do someone else's. Um, but I would say dehydrated pee is the best. Like, you want to get like the brown. Oh, because it's like stronger. Defined. Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's more concentrated. Um, so wait, do so you usually? Kn- I yeah, go ahead. I just, I would say I just usually recommend like finding like someone and just like dehydrating their pee like a lot. Um, or just like being like, hey, just like don't drink water for a day. Like don't drink water for like this day. I got you tomorrow. I won't drink water tomorrow. And like, <laughs> you just kind of like swap off. So how did you figure this out? Like, is this, is this experiential or did like, did someone tell you yeah, about it or you just like smoked a lot of different peas and then figured it out? Yeah. So um, I, I heard about it online and I was like, wait, is that can't be real. And my friends and I were just like drunk one night and we're like, wait, what if, what if, what if it was though? And so we tried it, and we were like, yo, wait. <laughs> it kind of goes. What's the high and, like? Uh, like, what happens when you do it? It's kind of like... It's kind of like a weed high mixed... I don't know. It's like it's very, like, really relaxing. And, like, you're just, like, having a good time and, like, kind of, like, giddy and everything. And, like, you just feel, like, really warm inside. Um, yeah, and the thing is, like, I know when I smoke weed sometimes, I'm just, like lethargic the next day or just like okay i'm done like or i get like really tired with pee it's like okay like you can just go to sleep whenever but like you're there's no like true like depressant in it that like makes you just like fall asleep or like makes you want to sleep you're just like okay cool i can have energy i can go for hours or i can just like chill and just like do my normal routine um and there's no like after effect too like after when you smoke it's like okay lethargic the next day after like smoking pee you're just chilling you're like okay cool i feel perfectly refreshed had a good night's sleep Wow. It's like your body is just ready for it. It's already processed it once. It's not that big of a deal to do it again. It doesn't like ruin your body. It's not like alcohol ruins your liver. It's not like, well, I guess weed doesn't really ruin any parts of you, but I love that. Everyone, everyone highly recommend. I mean, I personally have not done it, but I believe you. I feel like this is something that I will, I will want to try soon. So everyone, um, every, <laughs> all the Oomphcast listeners, please smoke pee and then let us know what you think. If, if any, if anyone actually does it, let me know. And I'd love to have you on to talk about your experience. As a disclaimer, I like feel like I legally have to say this. Please don't smoke pee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I wasn't. I completely made all that up. <laughs> I, yeah, I wasn't sure like how whether we just wanted to leave it there. But when you were doing this, like telling people this, and I can I can totally imagine this. Like I'm drunk at a party, you come up to me and you say like, hey, by the way, you can smoke your pee and like get fucked up. I would like if I was drunk enough and in the right state of mind, I'd just be like, hell yeah, like I believe you, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just tell me that you like and, know like, about chemistry or something. <laughs> Yeah, I just, like, throw in some, like, little... I used to know a lot more about it. I haven't really talked to people about it in, like, a year because of, like, COVID. But, um, yeah, whenever I go to a party, I, like, knew all the facts, knew everything about it. And it's so funny because, like, I would fuck with people so much in San Francisco because, like, a bunch of tech people are, like, also, like, really concerned about their health. And so, like, people are like, wait, I've heard, like, about... One person was like, I've heard about the healing properties of pee. Like, my mom told me about it all the time back um, in India. And she's like, yeah, you used to, like, put pee in your ear, like, clean it out. So it makes sense that you can smoke it and, like, get a rejuvenating, like, high from it. And we just, like, kept going on about it for, like, hours. Oh, my and God. And eventually, I had to be like, look, Percy, I'm, I'm seriously just fucking with you right now. Don't do this, please. This person was, was like, about to go, it. like, go get funding for this. They were about to have, like, a health yeah, startup, yeah. literally. 
Oh my god, no. I think one of my favorite ideas, um, my favorite fake ideas, is, like, telling people, it's like, yeah, like, so this is actually pretty lucrative. Um, you could probably get, like, a couple thousand dollars for a pint of pee. Um, and most people pee about, like, a pint, half a pint. Um, and if you have, like, the more dehydrated pee, it's even more, like, expensive. <laughs> like, forcing so, people to like, ruin their health and thinking exactly, they can make yeah, a buck off like, of it. I'm like, who, who's currently, like, mostly dehydrated? Homeless individuals. Who also doesn't have a lot of money? Homeless individuals. So what you would do is you would recruit a bunch of, like, homeless people um, and be like, hey, if you pee in this cup, I'll give you 75% of the profits. Um, you get the majority of the money, and we'll help you out. Um, and that way it could be, like, kind of like, okay, cool. Like, people, they, it's kind of like just live your normal lifestyle already, but you'll get, you just pee to me. And then I get the pee, sell it on the market, um, and then you get most of the money, and then you can actually, like, try to afford, like, a like a home and like um just a living wage and everything oh my god and this is i would tell this to, what? you would tell this to people yeah go ahead yeah i would just tell the people and they'd be like wait that's actually kind of a good idea like why don't we do this <laughs> this is and, this is something that truly only only a founder this is this is like next level thought this is ideation <laughs> that is like not on the same plane this is <laughs> this is why game bites is successful <laughs> this this pitching this business mindset this hustle okay so it's been I'm, I'm trying to keep these episodes i think to about like an hour and 20 minutes so it's been about okay. that amount so just to close it out i'll have you if you want to just like tell everyone your social media or plug anything oh actually let's let's talk a little bit more about game bites because i want everyone to actually download it it's actually a cool app so i've used it before um and it, all the games on it are really fun i think like bowling and basketball and the flappy bird-esque one mm-hmm. were some of my favorites what else is on there so um we just released like a live darts game um or it's like mostly live it's like if i'm throwing the darts um the person on the other side can see it um and it's it's actually pretty cool it's like really well like uh uh, made um and the graphics look pretty nice um we have that we have in true tech fashion we have a game that features elon musk um because we're trying to like market it to him because we're like yo this dude loves memes let's see if we can get him yeah like get him to tweet about it oh my god and then all of a sudden you're like set for life yeah (laughs) um obviously it didn't happen but um that game is kind of like a jump rope game you just like tap jump over the rope wait that's the one that used to be the astronaut right yeah yeah okay this this is one of my faves everyone download game bites and play the play the jump roping game that was my (laughs) personal fave um we have like a bunch of games i think we have like let's see how many we have now we have like almost 16 Oh, wow. Okay. I haven't played it for a while because I think you had like maybe eight or so when I was playing. Yeah. We have ski ball. We have shuffleboard. Shuffleboard's kind of fun. Um, we have darts. We have hangman. Hangman's fun to just like send like memes to your friends, essentially. Just like dumbass like inside joke texts. And like they will never get it because it's like, why would you send me this? <laughs> um, and then we have, let's see, we just re- released Uno, which is pretty fun. Um, and you can like turn audio chat on. It's actually like a lot more fun than like I thought it would be. I think that's like probably my favorite game so far. Um, nice. We've got air hockey coming out. You've got Moncala coming out. We've got eight ball coming out too. Um, and then just a bunch of other like fun like card games like Spades, War, Blackjack coming soon too. Nice. So not only an already impressive library of games, but also more to look forward to. So everyone go download that. Um, where else can people find you online? Or is there anything else that you want to plug before we end? Um, yeah, follow me on Twitter. I love talking to people. If people want to talk to me about startups, they want to talk to me about smoking pee, I'm down all the time. Um, 
Yeah, my Insta is the same as my Twitter, but I, like, never use Insta. And also, like, a little side note, our app is iOS only for the time, but we are working on the Android version. Work. Okay, yeah, I guess, like, you don't... The thing is, you don't have to be all over the... Like, you don't have to be on LinkedIn. You don't have to be, like, advertising because, like, you have an app that works and it's good so okay yeah. <laughs> basically just follow alex on twitter <laughs> yeah just follow me on twitter i literally i need to start tweeting again because like i've just kind of been this like rut where i've just been like doom scrolling all the time but i want to start saying like head ass shit and like i kind of stopped because i have a bunch of like tech twitter mutuals yeah and that's then, like awkward when your professional yeah. life gets merged yeah yeah and i got to the point i'm like my friends are like just make an alt and i'm like one of my friends like no just like shit posts on main like yeah matter. you have to commit to it i'm obsessed with that like having like coworkers and stuff follow you and just not changing any of your behavior <laughs> exactly. i highly recommend especially because you have a lot of agency like you it's not like you you're gonna get fired because like you're exactly. your own you don't have a boss necessarily but okay so we're gonna wrap it up here um thank you so much for being on it was great to learn about i feel like i learned a lot about startups like things that i was curious about great to talk about emily montez so yeah thank you so much for having me yeah of course so to those listening, again, like last time, um, thank you so much for tuning in. Let me know if you have any feedback on the episodes or if there's anything that you want to hear. Also, if anyone wants to be a guest on a future episode of OomphCast, tweet me. Peace.